At Hatsis Lawyers, we're all about forward thinking. That's why we're one of the few law firms in Queensland to offer fixed fee legal help. If you have a legal problem, we have the solution. Now, here's your podcast. A recent report by the Australian Bureau of Statistics revealed something that we all should be happy about, and that is that the life expectancy of Australians is increasing. But like most things, there is another side of the story, and that is that currently 66.7% of the total Australian population is made up of people over the age of 65 years. The worrying trend, though, is that it is estimated that at least 45% of them do not have a valid will. I'm joined by George Hatsis of Hatsis Lawyers, a Brisbane-based law firm that works across the state. George, what's so difficult about getting a will that so many people choose not to have one? Dan, uh, thank you for that. Uh, I think you'll find there's a couple of aspects to this. Firstly, is people put off a decision about making a will. One, because they think it's too hard. Two, because they don't have the time. And thirdly, on the uh, contrastingly, think it's an easy thing to do where they can just go to the newsagent and pick up one of the will kits and do themselves. I've often said to clients that that a will, if done properly, is one of the cheapest things you'll ever get out of a legal office. So take advantage of that. Yeah, it's somewhat bizarre, isn't it? Because, you know, you think of all the assets that one accumulates over the course of, you know, one's life, and yet you just leave it to fate because you, you haven't thought sort of ahead, uh, to, you know, to the point of actually thinking, well, how can I nail the, the future prospects for my, uh, you know, for my children or other loved ones? Yeah, exactly, Dan. The issue for, for a lot of people is that they see the will as a transaction. They see it as a product as opposed to looking at it as a tool in an estate planning regime or, as I prefer to think, an asset planning regime. Generally, throughout our lives, lawyers and accountants and financial advisors can complicate our financial and business lives or investment lives, but that should all be taken in context of a lifelong, if you want to call it a journey, and be able to plan for what we're going to do. So when we're buying an investment property, we go to an accountant or financial advisor and get advice. And the will is part of that investment strategy as part of your asset protection. Yes, it applies at the end, of course, but it's still one of the valid tools that you need to make sure that you plan for your assets during your lifetime. Does your will allow that same planning to follow through past your death? And that's a, that's a factor that people a lot of times don't get right. George, what happens in circumstances where there isn't a will? Well, that's when someone is said to have died intestate, borrowed from an old Latin term, but that means to die without a will. Now, what the law basically says is that if you've died without a will, then it goes to your next of kin, and there's an array of blood-related relatives, starting with your wife, your kids, and then leading down to nieces and nephews. And if you don't have any of that, then ultimately, public trustee of Queensland. So it's certainly well within your interests to have a will. And some people seem to have a a fairly laid back attitude saying, oh, well, the kids will get it all. What does it matter? But it's a bit more than that. If you don't put a will in place, then you lose control of where your hard-earned assets are going. So surely it's in your interest to make sure that at least they get directed as to where you want to go, where you want those assets to go, as opposed to having them dictated by a, a rule of law. 
And George, I assume that, you know, given the complex nature of uh, relationships these days, you know, and, and, and uh, blended families and what have you, uh, is more the reason why people should be thinking seriously about, you know, crafting a smart will rather than the, you know, the crazy Clark version. So they can actually portion correctly their estate to the very people they want it to go to rather than just leaving it to chance. Exactly. Great point. In today's world of second and third marriages or partnerships, what we see is a lot of people coming to us where they've got kids of a relationship once or twice removed. And of course, when they own a property, let's say with their new partner, they may own that as joint tenants. That's a legal term. And it could well be that that is incompatible with their wishes So when you're doing a will, what you also want to be able to do is make inquiries as to how they own their assets, which is a different aspect of that planning strategy I was talking about beforehand. We're not talking about overcomplicating things, but just simple questions, knowing what to ask and when, helps to make that will a lot easier. Because what you want to be able to do, if if you intend to provide for, for example, my children of my first marriage, then you want to make sure that your assets are in place and structured accordingly, but that can happen as opposed to being tied up in different manners where it may not happen, notwithstanding what you want in your will. So it's very important to make clear provision, to think that through, and to make sure that you own it appropriately to allow it to happen. Almost like a three-step process there. Yeah, and George, I'm thinking that, you know, given the fact that, you know, often people are uh, are slow to get wills, you know, they might be sort of considering them post-65, then invariably it's the case that, you know, given that one in 10 people suffer from dementia, that the issue of capacity, the person's capacity to actually craft or write the will becomes an issue as well, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at that, if you take a step back and look at that, when do we make a will in our lifetime? Generally, our parents force us to make a will when we're an adult. So therefore, the first step is, you know, the first will you ever make usually is, and that's if you do one, is, well, I leave everything to my, to my parents or to my brothers and sisters. Mm. Then, of course, we get married or what have you, and it goes to our partner. And then thereafter, you know, it goes to kids then after that, grandkids. And, and so there's a few basic stages in life where we do that. But when we're no longer 10 foot tall and bulletproof and know that, well, we have to start thinking about how we're going to deal with our assets past our death, then we start getting a lot more serious about it. And yes, what you said's right. It, it's at that time in life where then the lawyer has to deal with issues such as capacity. And capacity is the legal capacity one person has to actually make a decision. Now, that could be entering into a contract, that could be signing a document, that could be doing your own will or giving instructions to give a will. It's it's having that ability to understand what you're doing at the time that is being done. That's a very important issue, especially in our ageing population, as you indicated earlier. George, who makes that decision? You know, so if, if there is... If there's a child out there listening to this uh, podcast of a parent who is, uh, you know, post-65 and, and they're concerned about, you know, their dad's capacity to actually make the will, who has the final say on that? Well, I guess we don't want to insult everyone that's over 65 because they think they're probably still 20. <laughs> that's true. true. But uh, the assessment of, of capacity when doing a will is a very difficult one. First and foremostly, as lawyers, we will look at asking a person who's retired and maybe closer to 70, 
uh, well, please don't take offence, but can you have you got any medication that may influence your thinking? Can we get a letter from your doctor to validate that? Can we also get your doctor to comment on whether there are any issues with you being able to give instructions? However, notwithstanding the lawyer can sit back and get a, a, a medical certificate, that's not the be-all and end-all of it. The court will tell you in any cases involving the challenge of a will due to incapacity, will tell you that ultimately the decision rests with the lawyer. So when I've got you, for example, Dan, opposite my desk and we're talking, I've got to make an assessment with or without medical evidence as to whether I think you've got the capacity to give me those instructions. I've had to exercise that a couple of times and you mentioned kids. On one such occasion, that child who who was middle-aged, I went out and spoke to her and said to her, look, I don't think mum has capacity to give me instructions for her will. And needless to say, I obviously saw mum without the daughter in, on this occasion, and uh, and rightly so. But uh, she wasn't very happy about that because I wasn't giving her or her mother what they wanted. But mm. it, was because of, it was because of my duty to yeah. the old beneficiaries that I had to exercise that. Now, where they went after, that's another matter. But I guess the short answer to your question is, it really does rest with, with the lawyer to make that assessment. And that lawyer generally takes some evidence from the, the, the client's GP for argument's sake. And I assume that would be uh, that would make good sense for the person who is uh, having the will prepared if they are thinking of making their will watertight to minimise you know their will being contested, then it, it may make sense for them perhaps uh, if they are in their seventies to actually come to see you with um, you know the requisite documents that show that they actually do have the capacity. Does does that help you in your work? Oh, very it, much so. I mean, that shows the client's thinking squarely. Yes, and and thinking clearly and is aware of what, what their legal obligations are. And generally, can I say that whenever we've spoken to a client um, and asked them about getting a certificate from a medical certificate from their doctor, they really don't have a problem with it, so they understand why. And, and that and that in itself gives us an indication that they're thinking clearly. You know? yes. and, and as a lawyer, we, we might just have a conversation, just like what we're having now, Dan, and we might talk about current events just briefly, whether it's a, something happening in sport or, or politics or mm. what have you. And if they can't tell us who the, the Prime Minister was or, or maybe with all the, the sad news of, um, of, the, of the young cricketer passing away, if they don't know anything about that, then we might start questioning, well, maybe they're not always um, in tune with things. So it's asking those particular type of questions and satisfying ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It is a growing area of law, isn't it, George? Oh, very much so, very much so. I mean, it's one of it's one of the main areas where a will can be contested. There's the other main areas where where there are aggrieved children or relatives that feel that they haven't been properly provided for. But that's maybe a, a, another discussion for another day. But the incapacity issue is one of the key areas in which there is so much litigation and people who are sometimes aggrieved try and take that route to try and upset a will on the grounds that there's no way mum and dad knew what they were doing at the, t- at the time, you know, and um, mm. so therefore they mustn't have had capacity. So it's something that the lawyer then must square that away because the lawyer then is in the gun to uh, possible beneficiaries who may miss out if he hasn't done it, if he, he or she have, haven't done their job properly. Yeah, yeah, very true. George, how can Hatsis lawyers help? Well, what we do is um, we offer as part of our 
services. We often sit down with the client, make that assessment. They engage with us either through our, our website or direct contact. We sit down with them. We assure ourselves that the capacity is not an issue. If there's any capacity issues, as I indicated before, we may ask for medical certificates. So it's a square that way, and we keep that on our file. The other thing, of course, is we never destroy our records, mm-hmm. notwithstanding how long that will may be in place. And so we try and make sure that that is what their wishes are and, and properly advise them in relation to the holding of their assets as well. Because one of the other aspects with, with capacity is if they don't understand how their affairs are conducted, that's another little measure that we sometimes take into consideration when we're trying to assess whether that person understands their legal position. Yeah. So in addition to that, we also have a free will review. And as part of that free will review, we get to revisit them over the telephone and talk to them some more on, on an annual basis. But, you know, that's what we try and do then. And you also take a sort of multi-dimensional look at their whole sort of asset um, register, for want of a better term. Uh, you know, so it's you're taking a very holistic look on all aspects of their life in, in the preparation of the, of the wills that you do, aren't you? Exactly. We have a, a detailed will instruction sheet, which isn't designed so much for the lawyer not to miss something, but mm. it's designed for the client not to miss something. And yeah. So- it asks about their business structures. It asks about investment properties. It asks about trust or superannuation funds because superannuation funds, as you know, is dealt quite differently through yes. nominations. However, that is part of our role to make sure that we, we get the will right. An accountant will look at a person and assess them based on their financial status, their, their borrowing capacities, and look at you know how much money they have on their mortgage outstanding, for example. Whereas we're just more interested when we're doing a will, not so much on what the house is valued at or what the property is mortgaged to, but how they own it. Is it in two names? And if it's in two names, then how is that owned? Is it joint tenants or tenants in common? Those sorts of questions, or is it held through a trust so that we can then deal with the will and how it's going to deal with that asset? Because a lot of people deal with their assets as if, well, I own all this. In fact, they have trusts and companies in place, which technically mean that they don't actually have control over those assets. So it's about engaging with the client to produce a will that gives them the control over their assets. Things aren't missed. Hence the uh, the reason, George, that um, you know the uh, the will kit from the local news agent just don't cut it. No, it doesn't cut it at all. <laughs> Thirty bucks, but um, you know, as I said. You, Add a bit more money to that, and, and it's still the cheapest thing you're ever going to get out of a legal office, mate. So um, you'd be well, well advised to see your lawyer about getting your will done properly. Thanks very much, George. You're welcome, Dan. Thanks for listening. We hope you found the podcast useful. If you have any questions, simply reach out to us at www.hatsis.com.au or by simply calling 3345 4388.